0: This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? (laughs) Please, God. (laughs) This.
1: The dead will walk here.
0: I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary, even in hell.
1: Me back. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive.
0: They all float down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Why? You're doomed. You're doomed.
1: sequel to Deja Vu, our hosts celebrate the time-honored tradition of movie sequels including the good, the bad, and the very ugly. From diabolical killers who won't stay in the grave, to science fiction epics whose stories cannot be contained, to a single chapter, and so much more. Join us for the tales you love, and some that you won't believe got made in the first place. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same bottle. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New
0: mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You
1: don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things.
0: Now his mission...
1: Get down! ...is to protect it.
0: Ah! Come with me if you want to live. His loyalty is to a child.
1: Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy. He's a Terminator like you, right?
0: Not like me. Is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all, folks welcome once again to cinema degeneration this is sequel to deja vu and i do believe this evening or this afternoon for you we have what i consider and i'm not sure what my guest co-host uh where they fall on it but i consider it to be the biggest and the baddest sequel that ever has come down the pipe it's uh The ultimate in sequels uh, directed by James Cameron, we are reviewing and dissecting Terminator 2 Judgment Day from 1991, the sequel to 1984's original Terminator, followed by several more, uh, would you agree Tony, uh, sequels of varying caliber?
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> And I should introduce you. I'm, I'm hor- horrible at this. I'm only on show like 70 by now. I should uh, know what I'm doing. <laughs> My guest co-host uh, this evening is Tony Walters of Rad Entertainment. How are we doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for having
1: me. I'm excited to yeah. talk
0: T2. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I was alive back in 91, when I was just a wee chap of uh, about 14, 15 years old, and I saw the trailer for this coming out. I was stoked. And for some reason I like knew, like, I don't know if it's uh, a retro thing that like, you know, I kind of knew that we had a little bit of a a discussion about this, about, you know, Arnold going from being a, uh, you know, a bad guy in part one to good guy protector Terminator in part two. I kind of got that from the trailers, not the original, which is just, you know, Arnold coming down the assembly line. And what do you think about that, that bit of tidbit of information I gave you before we started recording, that they they actually shot the trailer with Stan Winston as director on a half-billion-dollar budget, or, you know, $500,000 budget. I mean, can you, can you even wrap your mind around that? I mean,
1: I would love for somebody to hand me $500,000 and say, you know, you want to go make this trailer with Arnold? Just, you know. Get, just get it, get it done by Friday.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was literally pretty much what they did. <laughs> they were trying to get the trailer out before the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, they had the trailer ready for. I think it was it came out uh, as a prelude to uh, you know Total Recall another Arnold Schwarzenegger. Movie. But uh, yeah, in ni- nineteen ninety one, what a time to be alive! The big opening weekend uh, for an R rated film. I think it had around $53, $54 million, and it wasn't beat out again until Matrix Reloaded. Uh, oh,
1: wow.
0: Yeah, it held the record for a good uh, 12, 13 years. But, you know, once again, directed by James Cameron, written uh, written also by James Cameron and William Wisher, uh, who wrote the uh, novelization as well. But, like, so what was your first impression? How old were you the first time you saw Terminator 2?
1: See, I was, I mean, Terminator 2 came out in, what do we say, 91, so I yeah. would have
0: been, I mean,
1: I would have only been, uh, I hate to, you know, make you feel old, Cameron, uh, but <laughs> I would have only been, um, what, like four or five years old when the movie came out in theaters. Oh, so um, you were
0: totally old enough to see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, my family didn't care about R-rated movies in the sense of, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of my friends did i don't know i was pretty much allowed to watch whatever you know as long as there wasn't nudity i think that was kind of like the 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 deal and this movie you know um this movie really for an r rating is you know it's mostly just bad language um
0: but it's uh you know and, and people dying <laughs> but, <laughs> but but uh, um it's mostly arnold getting the shit whom, whomped out of him and getting shot the hell up more action and horrific things are done are to some- arnold there are
1: some terrifying scenes in it, though, that always stuck with me. One in particular with the T-1000's, like, knife blade arm, uh, um, you know, stuck through the the foster father's face. Uh, like, oh, that scene yeah. it was just always something that was, like, it's always been burned into my brain as, um, you know, as just, like, this terrifying frame from a movie and it's because i probably watched this movie for the first time you know a few years after it came out i doubt i watched it when i was four but i probably watched it when <laughs> i was about like six or seven i can probably tell you that um it's a movie that, that holds a ton of nostalgia for me because i was so young when i was introduced to it um and it's it's a pleasure to watch because most movies that fill you with nostalgia are not really good movies you know when you turn you turn around and watch them you're like you're like, oh, I remember this movie being great. I loved this as a kid. And then when you watch it, you're like, oh, but I like, I feel the nostalgia for it, but it's a terrible movie.
0: Right, this you kind of side, feel like you're, the rose-tinted glasses have been exactly. put
1: on. This movie is different <clears throat> because this movie gives you the nostalgia feeling, and it's also an incredible movie. <laughs> like, I absolutely love this movie, and I, 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 I've now watched uh, – uh on the fourth of july here i mean you know and that was what what it's how old is this movie now uh this is oh it would be 30 30 years years old i think it's
0: turning 30 this summer
1: it's it turned 30 last weekend it turned 30 over the it came out over independence day weekend so oh there you
0: go so yeah then we 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 picked a good time to do this one (laughs) exactly so it's just you know it's
1: the uh, uh 30th anniversary of the film and um i uh watched it you know on, on independence day i you know i uh, watched the theatrical version and then last night i went back and watched the uh, special edition uh, you know so um i've seen it twice over the last couple of days i enjoyed both of my sit you know uh, my viewings of it uh, i watched it uh, with my fiance last night who uh, you know she 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 had seen the movie but you know it'd been a long time and you know she didn't necessarily view it fondly in her in her brain like in her, in her memory but last night watching it she uh she was like oh like she remembered every scene she's like i remember this movie more often than or more than i think she's like i must watch this a lot more <laughs> than i remember
0: <laughs> now no question had, had you seen the original terminator before you saw t2
1: I don't think so. No, uh, not as a kid. Uh, it wasn't until probably I was a teenager until I watched the original and then, uh, and I'd probably even at that point, you know, I'd already seen the third movie, uh, before I think I had actually seen the first one.
0: Oh oh gosh. That's, that's, that's a weird, weird, uh, order to see them. in. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, the first one, you know, is pretty much, uh, it's like a Friday the 13th film is pretty much like a slasher, like a phone. Book That's
1: killer. what I, I, I've i been talking uh, about, like for the last week is I've been I've compared the first Terminator to Friday the 13th. Like every time I've talked about it, I think, <laughs> because it is it's the same concept It's that slow moving killer, you know, always right behind you. You know, like the thing that the Terminator does uh, in both these films that I think the other movies kind of lack uh, is the overall just like relentlessness of the machine? Like it is not going to stop. There's nothing that you can do. This thing is going to kill you, and that's you know the same. This is the same feeling you get from Jason.
0: Yeah, like no, no matter what you do, it's an unstoppable force. And you know, no matter how fast you you run, they walk faster. That's another rule. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and it's like, and, and I love Arnold. Arnold has become synonymous with. You Know the Terminator movies, uh, you know, making an appearance in every single one of them. Uh, I'll be briefly in Terminator, uh, uh, what was it, Salvation, Salvation, where he was just yeah, just CGI'd, but you know, he's become the face of the franchise, uh, with the exception of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I don't know, I don't really consider that canon, but you know, still uh, again, it has a the- giant fan basis, people love that show. I've, I've- I, I, I. I, I can't speak about it. I have
1: not really watched it, uh, but Pete, the, it has a huge fan basis.
0: Yeah, I, I like it, but I just don't consider it canon. Uh, yeah. It just yeah, it's just one of those like oh, this is just one well, long be- fever every, dream. <laughs>
1: everything after two isn't canon anymore anyway. Outside of the outside of Dark Fate, right? So right.
0: I mean, Dark pretty Fate, much Macon,
1: the whole the whole thing, um, including the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So, uh, but I, I haven't, and I haven't seen Dark Fate, and I haven't seen whatever the one was before that
0: either. Oh, Genesis. Genesis Genesis is the is the uh, black sheep of the family. Uh, it, it's not not a good movie. Not a good movie at all. I personally myself do like Dark Fate. I thought it was a good way to kind of bookend and make it out uh, original, kind of a original trilogy after you know Judgment Day. If you kind of retcon Rise of the Machines and Salvation, but th- it, this this series is a lot like the Halloween movies. There's all different kinds of timelines. You got the Rob Zombie line. You got, the, you know, the the original Laurie Strode line. You got the remake. Yeah, uh, it's all it's all over the place. You just, you know, I, I consider a couple of them just really big budget fan films. Right. And but as much as I love Arnold, this is what I was getting at. I got way off track. But to me, I'm not sure if you'll agree with this, but I think Robert Patrick is the real shining star of this movie. He's like what I consider the MVP of it. He gives such a great performance. You know, I had read in a couple of interviews and watched a couple of the behind the scenes where he said he kind of would look at things as if he was a bird stalking its prey or like a shark stalking its prey. And I think that comes across in his performance big time.
1: Definitely. Definitely the bird stuff. I, I see that like, uh, cause I, I, re- I read the same thing that he, uh, you know, modeled his movements off of like an Eagle. And uh, because he does a lot of like, just where his, his head will be like, he'll make contact with something and then his shoulders and body will twist to meet the direction that his head is facing. And I, I think that that it comes off robotic and it comes off the, he has, he definitely has the most menacing stare. Uh, like, yeah, I, I and you know, uh, it's a great, great choice. Uh, you know, it was a last minute uh casting decision because originally it was supposed to be um Billy Idol.
0: I have that written down in my notes. I, you know, <laughs> big Billy Idol fan as well, and how I'd never knew that until uh, yesterday <laughs> literally, like that would have been uh, that would have been something different. I, I don't know what I would have think would think about that. As, yeah, I love Billy Idol, but nah, as, as the Terminator, just, just. No, it would have been a different, it would have been, it would have been a different movie. He'd have played it. He'd
1: have played it, you know, a little, he'd have played it Billy Idol. He'd played it rock and roll. It wouldn't, I don't think it would have worked.
0: Um, so I yeah, think the T-1000 great... with a snarl just doesn't, doesn't work for me. Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about like a little bit about the movie itself. We'll get into dissecting it and, and uh, that opening, you know, we the end of the world taking place to August 29th, 1997, and the way those opening credits play over the playground on fire. And when, the, you know, uh, the kind of, you know, you see, you get a glimpse of, of Judgment Day. And the little flashback, Not, I guess it's not really a flashback, it's a flash it's forward. Like a, it's like a dream sequence, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, really. I mean, it is a
1: dream sequence. It depends on which version, because now I'm like, they're both burned in my brain. Like, like they're both crossing
0: yeah, because I watched both. I watched the theatrical version about three days ago, and I actually finished up uh, the special edition last night.
1: Yeah, so so about about the same as me then.
0: Yeah. But. And um, now, only question before we get too deep in this. Do you have a, a favorite version, theatrical or special edition? I
1: think the theatrical is a better version. I think it's a, it's a better paced version, and I think that the things that it decides to not include, I think, are wise choices to cut. From, from the film. I think that the special edition gives you a, a nice little insight into maybe, um, you know, how the characters are feeling maybe a little bit more, but I don't think that it's necessary. And I think that the biggest thing being the, you know, we're, we're getting there is the uh, the dream sequence with Kyle Reese, I think is, is a worthy cut from the film, because I think that it sets up um, Sarah's character uh, a little weak and in the theatrical version i think she's a stronger character be, without that scene
0: right right it felt it just felt a bit um, extra you know yes yeah. the, the only parts that they cut out <clears throat> that they put into the special edition that i would like to possibly see in the theatrical cut everything else kind of feels like eh, it's just a nice little bonus you know you got your um well like you mentioned the kyle reese dream sequence uh, when the t-1000 is kind of running his hands all over everything, sampling, you know, surfaces and whatnot. It doesn't need to be there. But I I like the idea at the end that you get the idea that the T-1000 was starting to malfunction after the liquid nitrogen hit and was kind of morphing to everything. That I felt like they should have left in. That would have explained a couple of the other kind of ripples and, and, uh, you know, hiccups in his, I would say hiccups in his giddy-up, you know, that the T-1000 had later on. Right, right, right. But and again, that's you know mixing two two different cuts into one big collective cut. We don't need a third cut of the Terminator.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the but, thing is I own two. The thing is I, I own the special edition. Um, I own two different versions of the special edition on DVD, and I have like one is just called the special edition, and then the other one is call, is a metal cased one that's called. Um, um it's what is it called it's called like it's something it's a different edition it's it's not the special edition it might be the director's cut maybe is what that one's called um right. but it's the same cut as the special edition that's just under a different
0: name but it's the same cut from my <laughs> understanding yeah i watched it and everybody's gonna laugh at this because i get made fun of because of it all the time but i have the three disc special edition on laser disc i watched <laughs> <laughs> i watched the theatrical cut on the laser just because I was in my office and my TV with all my laser, discs is sitting like four feet away. So I watched that. And then I watched the Blu-ray special edition last night and still a pretty film still looks good. A lot of them get those 4k upgrades and you kind of understand why movies from the nineties and earlier don't get those kind of upgrades because they don't look good, but you know, James well, it's James Cameron that's a testament to him having that, that tech savvy side to him his movies always look good but right. way, but when the the opening of the movie i think you know past the 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 arrival of the terminator taking a kind of slice out of time is iconic as ever and seeing how they like did those effects you know where the the time portal sphere would take a chunk out of the the side of something you know the side of the the semi truck and the, the fence they just did glow in the dark paint. It was simply glow in the dark paint with the light shining on it to make it glow orange. I was like, really? That's what they use? I would have thought that you know, with all the high tech special effects and stuff that when I had read that that's how they did it, I was just like, huh? So it really was that simple.
1: Yeah, it's it's very similar to how they did the uh, lightsabers in the original Star Wars. It's just reflective tape. Yeah.
0: <laughs> tape, paint, tape and paint. Uh, this goes approved no matter how high budget or low budget you are, some good old duct tape or <laughs> painter's tape will go a long way. <laughs> uh but I think yeah you know, the, the fact that the studio wanted to cut this opening scene. I don't remember where I read this or where I heard this in the behind the scenes because I must have watched at least two and a half, three hours worth of worth of behind the scenes footage. But they wanted the studio wanted to Arnold Schwarzenegger to convince James Cameron to cut this opening sequence, you know, when he goes into the, you know, the honky tonk bar and he just tears ass of everybody. Like the, the one, like the one group of people that you would expect him to kill before he gets his instructions from John Connor to not kill. But like, can you imagine this movie without that scene? It's just like, it's like the best scene of the movie. I mean, I, I, I love that opening scene so much.
1: Like the, you know, I need your boots, your, or I need your clothes, your boots and your motorcycle. Like,
0: right. And they just laugh at him and like, what is it with this crazy naked man here?
1: Right. <laughs> I love that line. I love how direct it is. I love it. I love the performance there. And I love that. It gives a subtle setup. It gives a, um, he, cause he doesn't kill those guys in the bar. He beats the hell out of them pretty bad but he doesn't actually kill any of them no and, he, he just uh, and I think that that sets up the character to be the hero in a subtle way that you might not pick up on you know your first viewing necessarily because in the first film his character is introduced and he like kills those the the, the, the punk rockers for, for you know for his outfit and uh, uh, and in the first one Kyle Reese you know Uh, You know, like you don't know on your first viewing, you you know, who the who the hero is and who's the bad guy out of like Kyle Reese, and the Terminator. But but you can kind of start to feel it out by based on their actions a little bit. And that's how this one works, too, is.
0: Well, Kyle Reese basically just, you know, steals a homeless man's pants. You know, Arnold kills three guys. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Well, this one, you know, it does play it off subtle. You know, like if you didn't if you just went into this movie blind and not known it with the kind of nostalgia factor that we have you wouldn't really know if he was a good guy or not. Well, he's like, well, he's still assaulted, you know, a bar full of guys. And I have to mention the uh, cameo by an, an actor that I like. He's a character actor, uh, Peter Shrum. He uh, is the guy with the shotgun that uh, that comes out and fires in the, the air, the shotgun. Yeah. 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 Can't, can't let you take the, take the man's wheels, son. So, <laughs> now, yeah. Now, now get off before I push you down. Right. <laughs> That uh, he played, he was a uh, Charles Band bit player. He played in a lot of Full Moon and Empire uh, Pictures movies. He was in like Demonic Toys, amongst others. But like, I didn't really realize that until this past viewing. It was one of those like, I know that guy. You know, he's one of those character actors. This is one of those like, I know I know you. (laughs) Right. But yeah, I had to make that a point. But I like how they actually, you know, at the beginning, don't tell you which Terminator is good or bad. You're falling along with everybody else. I mean, like when. Robert Patrick, you know, we probably know that when he, he time jumps down, he probably kills that, you know, police officer, you know, you don't see it. It's all kind of right. happens a little bit off, off camera. And, you know, did he punch him in the stomach? No, he probably had his hand morphed into a, you know, a blade of some sort, but they don't show you. And the next thing, you know, you know, is the debut of Eddie Furlong, the first movie he was ever in He wasn't really an actor. He was hanging out at a boys club. And, you know, when they were, uh, you know, scouting for actors and locations and whatnot. And it's his debut as John Connor, the the one everybody is there to save. And, you know, we get some other James Cameron uh, royalty, uh, Jeanette Goldstein uh, as the foster mom. I forgot what her name was. Janelle, that was it, I think. And then Alexander Berkeley, who was another bit player that was just a character actor that's in tons of stuff. I just I, I just caught like five minutes of the movie Barbed Wire on, okay. on uh, Pluto TV, like scrolling through something. for, And he was the first thing I saw. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, it's John Connor's foster dad. <laughs> but uh, the biggest thing about this movie, though, is the change within uh, Sarah Connor, Linda Hamilton. Uh, she sure has changed the Sarah. We've. I mean, this is the Sarah Connor that I think we've all come to know and love, especially I know you haven't seen Dark Fate yet. But the the Sarah Connor she plays in here is definitely uh, it's an, the, the, the in dark fate is definitely an extension of that character. It's not the, you know, the 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 young Sarah Connor. <laughs> who has, you know, the, as they say, the rose colored eyes and, you know, the curly hair and she's just going, you know, playing in a playground with her kid. And, you know, I forgot what, where it was. She was a waitress at the big boy restaurant in the part one, you know, this is a far cry for, for her. And, you know, uh, I guess one of her stipulations, Linda Hamilton's stipulations of coming back. She liked the, the idea behind the script, but she told James Cameron, I can only do this. I will only do this. If you let me play it crazy. Right. But yeah, yeah. she,
1: her, her performance in this one, like, I mean, just the character arc is, is fantastic because in the first movie, she is very much just a, like, you know, she's, you know, uh, early twenties, you know, she's fairly normal, normal, normal person trying to just live her life, you know, in the eighties, like with the clubs and the whatever, but she's, you know, she's trying to date and do her thing and just live a normal life. and, And, uh, you know, um, a, you know, robot from the future coming to kill you would definitely give you some PTSD uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to deal with. And then, you know, you we get more insights from John about like his upbringing and and, you know, like him like hacking the ATM and
0: talking about that scene.
1: Yeah. Talking about how, you know, his mom taught him all this stuff and, you know, that they, you know, they, you know, so they were. You know, I don't know how long she's in and maybe you can you you know this. I'm not sure I, how how long she's actually in the uh, like the asylum or how long she's been. You know, she's been locked up um, because it seems I, like yeah, you know,
0: I remember reading in, in the book. I want to say it was two to three years.
1: OK, that and that, that would make sense based on the, uh, you know, uh, the information that, you know, John's kind of spitting out. Like it's pretty, pretty. And, and, and to be raised and, you know, you get you dive into the character mindset, like to be raised by her told that you're going to lead this army, that you're <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you're the, the savior of humanity. And, you know, and you guys are on this, you know, freedom mission here to like save the world almost. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, like, right, Ma. Sure, Ma. <laughs> well, no, but,
1: you know, but he's like buying into it all until she's locked up. And then he realizes, oh, my mom is crazy. And I've been, you know, living this lie my whole life my mom is insane. Like that has to be like this majorly traumatic thing, which is why he is a little shithead of a kid.
0: <laughs> oh he yeah. Is. He's a little bastard of a kid <laughs> to be quite honest. Like, and I would then, not want to be his foster parent. Not, not at all.
1: No, not, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, uh, like the way that he treats his foster parents and then, you know, just, you know, stealing money from the ATM and all this stuff. You're just like, wow, it's, you know, like, this kid's got some struggles, but obviously, you know, he's, <laughs> he's some, you know, without a father problems. figure, mom's locked up. He thinks she's crazy. And now, you know, and now no, but no, now no. we get, you know, his the, his big reveal of, uh, you know, she's not crazy. So,
0: Right, right. Because then we get the also get the return to Silverman, Dr. Silverman from the first movie. Yes. Uh, another great character actor, Earl Bowen. He's always kind of plays the same character, but he's great. I actually just watched a movie with him where he plays uh, an insurance investigator in a movie called The Dentist. And I was just like, again, it was just like, okay, these people are in everything. I was like, I'm going to be doing Terminator two in like three days. And I just like see him in that. He's great. But like the, the interrogation, I love when Silverman is kind of interrogated. I guess it was not an interrogation, but like a review, you know, it's like, he brings those groups of interns in and kind of shows his star pupil off. And she's doing, you know, our introduction to her, she's doing pull-ups and got her room all rearranged. And then the asshole guards come in. And they're, you know, seeing people misappropriate their, uh, their, how do you want to say it, their, their job position to beat up on the patient's. Then the next thing, you know, you know, you find out like, oh, yeah, she just stabbed me in the knee with my pen on my last review. And then she's getting another review trying to convince them she's got a terrible poker face. I, I love Sarah Connor. I love Linda Hamilton, but she's got a terrible poker face when she pulls the whole, like, I'm much better now. You know, like, I, I, I just really wanted to make a phone call get moved to minimum security and see my son. And I love with just a look and a smirk. He's like, I know how smart you are. And you're just telling me what I want to hear. <laughs> right.
1: Right. For sure. And and I like, I mean, I think it's, you know, odd. I mean, but it's also, you know, whatever, early 90s. But, you know, she's watching her own playback of, like, her own actions. You know what I mean?
0: And I don't know if that's something that, you know, patients get to do I don't, <laughs> as part of their especially therapy. Especially not while smoking. I, I would imagine oh. it, they would probably be restricted. But, man, she's smoking in every scene. Oh, for sure, totally. I mean, you know, but it was also 1990.
1: Exactly. It was like you know that was that's part of their you know commissary. She could probably just get that from from a you know vending machine whenever she wanted. (laughs) Right,
0: right, right, right.
1: Because also when they're just walking through the facility, like the doctors, like when they're you know, he's showing a group of doctors like her cell or whatever. They also just like walk past patients that are just like crouched on the floor, like huddling. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. That seems to be a a trope in movies with uh, mental institutions and things oh, like true. that. Like there's just random patients just wandering the halls. It's like, okay, I guess this is how, how it goes. I should ask Patty about that. She'd probably be like, oh no, no, that's not really how it is. <laughs> how it is. I know uh, situations like these in movies just makes her her skin crawl because how oh, it's just so blatantly they get it wrong, but it's theatrical. You know, it looks good. It looks good on camera. Now, was it about in this point? Now I'm getting my two versions mixed up. It should be right about here where, uh, they had the Kyle Reese dream sequence that they ended up cutting out of the theatrical cut. I'm sorry. What? Now, so th- was this, was about the placement in the movie where the, in the special edition where they had the Kyle Reese, dream sequence
1: if i'm uh, right no the cowrie's dream sequence is before it's it's how she, her character is introduced and that's what's weird about it is you know the first time we see her is she's sitting on the bed and then kyle comes in and, and that's right that did come before that because yeah, i was making
0: so i was I making various like was notes weird. between both both versions and i was getting mixed up
1: yeah and that, that's what i was saying earlier is that i think that I don't necessarily hate the scene. I, I do. I mean, I don't, I don't really, I, I, I don't care for the scene. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's great, but I think if, if you are going to put it in, it should come after her introduction. I like the way that she's introduced in, in the theatrical cut better.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. And then we get, uh, enter Joe Morton as Dyson, the man, the lead scientist at Cyberdyne, you know, uh, he's the one that's, you know, heading off the, uh, the 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 team at Cyberdyne to create Skynet, and he even he doesn't even know what he has on his hands. I like the fact that like he's trying to decipher the information, and th- that chip and that like thing that is obviously an arm, but like nobody knows where it came from. They're never they're told never to ask where it came from. I kind of feel like we needed a scene like this is probably the way the movie. This is this is just me fanboying out like how I would do it. I would have started it off with a cleanup crew showing up at the beginning of the movie, picking up that those materials and taking them. Now I think there was a deleted scene where they showed something like that where they actually filmed it for the original Terminator. Now I don't know if it's, I'm just creating that in my head or if that's something I actually saw, but I'm almost hundred percent positive that they did that. So,
1: yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure on that. I think that, uh, uh, I I like that you know you know we're just kind of you know left to figure it out for ourselves uh, you know as the story progresses and then you know he does explain him explain it more when when they you know raid his his place but um uh, but I like this um, what do you want to call it um oh, what is his name I'm gonna um
0: the kind of intern kind of character
1: no it's no it's for not the- off the movie um uh. There's like the, I can't think of his name, and it's gonna drive me nuts. But there's like the guy who worked on like the UFO stuff out at like uh, area. It wasn't Area 51. It was like Sector Seven or something like that. Uh, I know
0: who you mean, but I don't know the name. I can't think of his name. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing his face, I can picture his face. I just can't think of his name.
1: Uh, yeah, but Bob Ooh. Lazar. Anyway, okay. Oh, okay, so, th- so th- I, like that's how I that's how I feel yeah, going into going into this like you know reveal of like the arm and the chip and everything, um, you know, with Joe Morton's character. Uh, like Dyson, for me, is you know, and his and his team and everybody are kind of like similar to the story of Bob Lazar and him working out on uh, on, you know, things he wasn't allowed to question. you know what I mean? It was like, here's this alien ship, presumably, you know, based on his his stories, whether you believe it or not or whatever. but here, but, you know, he was out there working on something that he knew was definitely an alien ship, but was never told that, you know, he was just told to reverse engineer it. And that's what these people are doing. They're just reverse engineering this technology, uh, with, you know, they can make their own assumptions of where it came from, but, but the government's not going to tell them anything. And this right. And, th- and if they did that, have to kill them. Exactly. And this, this organization though, too, you know, there's, it doesn't really come off as being like malicious you know, it's, you know, Dyson is, a he's a good guy. He's just yeah, trying to I mean, he's thinking humanity.
0: about it, you know, uh, as he explains to his wife in a later, uh, piece of the movie, you know, he's trying to think of, you know, the, the future. He's like, you know, imagine a future where, you know, the pilot never calls in the pilot, never, you know, shows up to work drunk and does the job with a 100% success rate. And he's like, and he points at the model for the chip and he's like, meet the pilot. Right. You know, and he's just thinking of, you know, I think, you know, and in his mind, he was saving lives. He didn't realize, you know, that's why later on when he gets it laid on and what, you know, Cyberdyne does in creating Skynet. And that's why his first reaction is like, I think I'm going to throw up. Right. Because he's like, "Okay, I wanted to save lives and I'm responsible for what they say, over three billion lives lost. You know, yeah, that's a lot to lay on somebody, especially after you shot them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, a little ahead of ourselves, but. Uh, where we leave off after the introduction of uh, of Dyson is the the off scene at the Galleria, where uh, you know the T one thousand has got you know has, has went to the Foster parents. He's got a picture. He knows now that the other Terminator is there, or at least he knows somebody is there, because even though they don't show the scene, you find out through a little bit of dialogue that you know Arnold had been there looking for John as well, and they just assume that he's just in trouble again because, as you put it earlier. John's kind of a shithead kid. He's always getting in trouble. <laughs> right. But I love that that head of off scene. It's not until, you know, John Connor in slow motion is running away. You got Arnold on one side, Robert Patrick on the other, both leveling guns at him. And you don't know up until that point, which is what a good 30, 35 minutes in, like who's who. You know, right. We know from previous experience, if you've seen the original Terminator, that Arnold is, you know, a bad guy. He's a ter- you know Terminator sent from the future to kill. But no, he, you know, this is the moment when it's revealed what you're dealing with. You know, the Terminator is now a protector sent there by John Connor to protect John Connor. I know it's, it's, it's a little hard to the, the wrap your mind <laughs> around, especially when I was like 14. I was like, so John Connor sent the terminator into the future to protect himself. Like, okay, I think I get it. I think I get it. But this is where the that that this is one of the first movies that really had great, you know, CGI. You know, uh, James Cameron, the the previous picture, which I uh, think came out in 89, was either 88 or 89, The Abyss. You know, when he he had, uh, you know, uh, I think that was the first movie he won an Oscar for. Uh, for special, you know, the, that he did that won an Oscar. And this movie, you know, part of the trivia that I have, it got six Oscar nominations, four Oscar wins. Was the first movie sequel, the first sequel to a movie to ever get an Oscar, where the previous movie was never nominated for a single one. So I thought that was worth, worth worthy of a notation, but. The CGI effects, you know, where basically, you know, you find out that the, the T1000 is not exactly a robot, but as uh, he put it here, and it's really funny <laughs> to hear Arnold try to pronounce this line, "My a mimetic poly. See, I can't even do it. I can't even do it. I can't <laughs> imagine trying to do it like from the back of a motorcycle, a mimetic poly alloy. And he's right. like, he's like, and John Connors is like, what the fuck does that even mean? He's just like liquid metal. And the effects, you know, it's early CGI morphing. It's, it was 1990-91, but it yes, holds it's, up. It's 1991
1: visual effects, and yes, I mean, they they hold up, but it's because of the team behind it. It was, you know, it was ILM, you know, Industrial Light and Magic, which were the same people that did Star Wars. Um, you know, they would uh, you know, go on to, you know, pretty much now, you know, are like, you know, the top people in the industry doing visual effects. Um, they this was the, you know, something that they started to figure out how to do well, uh, you know, early on, which was uh, mirror reflection, uh, like reflecting light and and basing the whole, uh, you know, T-1000 completely off of this idea of, you know, it's going to be just a big mirror and reflect everything around it. Uh, right. And there's some really cool shots that they were able to pull off. Um, you know, where when he enters the helicopter and he like smashes through the windshield and then, you know Oh and uh, he kinda like pours in. Pours in. In that in that shot, you know, you see the reflection of the pilot in the metal. And that's just that those are the things that help sell the effect and make it real. And uh, you know, they understood at that point, even in the early nineties, that when it comes to visual effects, lighting is the most important thing. You have to be able to light the object to fit your scene and and i think that they pulled it off really well there are some you know some shots that work don't work as well as others but overall oh, of it never it never takes you out of it i never like looked at it and thought to myself like oh that looks terrible like that you do yeah. a lot of early cg stuff
0: oh god up, up into the even the early 2000s there's some high high grade uh high grade crap uh cgi you know movies that were made 10 15 years later that don't hold up to this but it's also i think you said it best you know industrial light and magic was doing the effects when you have the best of the best you can expect you know the finest grade uh i think i remember reading that there was only six people working at ilm before this movie was made and they bumped it up to 36
1: right because you know they had done star wars and then uh you know and then you know this so they did jurassic park i mean these guys were yeah when they were doing Star Wars, it was such a tiny little team of uh, and they, like trying to just figure it out. You know what I mean? Like they had all these grand ideas and it was like, how do you do it though? And where we're at in in visual effects today is because of, you know, there's a lot of teams out there like Pixar and, you know, lo- like ton, tons and tons of VFX uh, warehouses, but ILM is definitely uh, like in the forefront of notable, notable VFX warehouses that have, like, changed the cinema landscape.
0: Well, I, I heard them the, described as the Ro- Rolls-Royce version. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much that's pretty much right. And this movie is the Rolls-Royce of action movies. I mean, God, everything. The next, in the next, like, paragraph of notes that I have, and I, I took three pages of notes. This is probably the most notes I've ever written for any one single movie that we've reviewed. But everything starts off with, or ends with Iconic. I think that's a one thing about this. Like the first time I've ever written down the, the iconic bar scene, the iconic fight scene between uh, Arnold and Robert Patrick. I liked the little wink and nod too. that was very subtle that, uh, you know, they play guns and roses music at two, two or three different times during the movie. And when Arnold is walking down the hall, he's carrying his shotgun and a box of roses. So I figured like, ah, I see what yeah, you did there. Definitely. Nice.
1: And it's, and it's awesome. When he pulls it's, that gun from that box of roses, and the it's roses like, go flying. Yeah, oh. it's it's a really like it's a really cinematic, awesome shot of you know just roses flying through the air as he's pulling a shotgun. Out. I mean, it's just a visually appealing shot, and right, then, yeah, right. but it's also a little tie to Guns and Roses, and it's great.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I would love uh, my favorite part is like when Arnold's boot crushes down on the rose and it makes that crunching sound. It it, it sounds like you know he's d- d- destroying a fine some fine china, and it's just a. a it's just a rose, you know, but yeah. The sound work in this, I have my surround sound system on, which I don't normally do because I don't want the neighbors to hear what I'm listening to half the time. But, oh, the sound design in this movie is so good. It's everything it is. No wonder it won four technical Oscars.
1: Yeah, um, if I remember correctly, um, the sound of the T-1000 when he, like, goes through the bars at the asylum, like when he, like, liquids through the bars... Uh, yeah. Is the sound of a can of wet dog food hitting the bowl. <laughs> yeah,
0: I I remember reading something about that and some of the sounds of uh, the the bullets hitting was that it was like they would take a, like a mortar and pestle like a glass mortar and pestle and like put some jelly in it and and just drop it in and record that. And I'm like I remember the the sound. I don't remember the name of the fellow who did the sound design. But he's like, yeah, they spent six million dollars on special effects, and I spent thirty-five cents on a can of dog food. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> now, but like I said, this is where we get our first um, real hint at the morphing effects that we're going to see, you know, prominently in this movie. Now, the first morphing scene doesn't really hold up a hundred percent. It holds up m- most of the way, but that second morph, when when it when he starts to change, really looks good. I love that see you know where uh with uh janelle when he's mimicking janelle and after you know the the big car chase and look i, well, I do not want to get ahead of myself i can't skip over that car chase i mean what is it with what do, do you think that it's become synonymous with terminator movies and having the chase scene always involve a semi-truck what do you think it is about that
1: Uh, because it's a big machine it's you know it's (laughs) this it's like a semi-truck a semi-truck is like a tank you know it's just like this this giant like just giant unstoppable force and i think that a semi-truck uh you know encapsulates like that feeling with you know the t-1000 behind like what like and what i was saying earlier you know with with the terminator the the you know the horror aspect the fear of it is it's just relentless it's never going to stop and when john connor you know slows down and looks behind him and there's nothing there and then that semi truck comes over that uh overpass and just slams into the to the uh waterway it is an awesome shot and kicks off like you know a really incredible action sequence and is got to be absolutely terrifying how old is john connor like he's
0: like like what like 13 maybe and well, I mean Eddie Furlong was 13 but uh, when he made the movie but he was only supposed to be like 10 right. in, in like movie but, time but you're
1: like how terrifying to just like you know almost be you know shot down almost like in the mall and then you're like get away and you're you know chased on foot by a guy who's keeping up with you while you're on a motorcycle side note he actually did that he he had to run I, slower. Uh, because he was, he was catching up with the, with the bike too, too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I but, already,
0: uh, uh, I read somewhere that he, had, Robert Patrick had to learn how to run with his mouth closed to not show the the fatigue that yeah, a normal he was, person would have, you know, in breathing heavy.
1: Right. He, he trained so well for the running section that he was able to catch up with the, the dirt bike too easily. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, but that's a fear great. you that's must great. have as a, as a, you know, a young kid, and that semi-truck just comes over that. Like, that's terrifying and awesome. And, oh, that's
0: awesome. Awesome for us. Like, terrifying you know, for him. <laughs> and then, he, he,
1: you know, he just slams it, you know, you know, underneath another overpass, ripping the top of it off. And it's just, I don't know, it's one of the kind of greatest, I don't know, action sequences, really, for me, at least, like, at least from my childhood. Like, it's something that is always going to have a nostalgic factor. It's always going to just, you know, resonate with me as, you know. Yeah. A, a way to create action like you know best action sequences are always you know action and reaction like like one thing happens forcing the character to make a decision like immediately to you know force them
0: into another path or another
1: way and this this is a great i think it's a great example of
0: that and i like there's really two chases going on at the same time you got the t-1000 chasing john and the te 800 chasing them to catch up and you know everything down from like when the arnold takes off from that that concrete embankment down to the waterway below on his motorcycle, and they drop him in. You know, seeing how they filmed that, you know, watching the behind the scenes, you know, I'll be damned if I can say, you know, they they do some good digital eras- erasing racing going on there. You know, because they that just looks so good. I mean, it's so iconic.
1: Yeah, it's great. The only the only issues I really have with that scene, and it's a small one, is that you can really see those stunt doubles and that they're not
0: <laughs> they're not. Them. You can
1: see that mask.
0: You can see yeah. that Arnold Schwarzenegger mask that the dude's yeah, wearing. And...
1: Exactly. You can see that. And then, uh, yeah, John Connor, whenever, you know, they cut to the stunt guy on him, you can you can pretty well tell it's not him.
0: But right, to right. Him. Gratuitous to stunt gratuitous stunt double, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, what I was getting to it was after this when you know, John gets the lowdown from the T-800. He's like, he, he knows at this point that he knows they're Terminators. He really finally realizes, oh, shit, my mom was not crazy. So he we went from living a life where he, you know, was raised on this. I'm going to be the savior. And he's like, then he's like, OK, well, my mom's sorry. You know, kid, your mom's nuts. And then he realized, oh, no, she <laughs> she wasn't crazy. And he still, you know, does the right thing, even though he's kind of a shithead kid. He wants to save Janelle, and I forgot the the husband's name. That, but he calls them up, and I love the scene of dialogue where he kind of realizes just how uh, how smart these Terminators are. You know, the T eight hundred knows that something's up, and or actually, John kind of figures it out first, and he's like, "She's never this nice." Right. And then when Arnold starts talking, <laughs> and it, little Eddie Furlong's voice that is barely cracking, pu- getting ready to crack puberty, it it made me laugh back then. It makes me laugh now. It's not like it's a bad scene or it's a B movieish kind of scene, but it just makes you laugh. You know, seeing big old Arnold talking like, that, right? Oh, for sure. Like, Mom, what's wrong with Wolfie? I'm just like, <laughs> like come on, man. You can't tell me that the writers and direct and the director weren't uh, you know laughing about that one in editing.
1: Right. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Oh, and
0: I skipped ahead. I skipped ahead. I had a note here that I had an asterisk, by. I wanted to mention it. In the scene where they're fighting at the Galleria, and Arnold gets thrown through the window and kind of gets knocked on, I guess you would say, unconscious for a moment, the guy who is standing there kind of mindlessly taking pictures, is snapping pictures of Arnold as he's getting up, that is the writer. That's William Wisher.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I, That's cool. I, I read that yesterday. I didn't know that. I was just like, oh, that's why they show him twice, right? But anyway, back back to the scene at hand. I, I I come back around. You know, I I got kind of a, a crazy squirrel like brain, but I come back around. Uh, <laughs> but when the T when the T one thousand that subtle scene where you know she's well, I can say he she's uh, as Janelle stabs you know her husband's head through the milk carton and that panning shot. I can't imagine. I admit. The, the logistics of that t- reportedly took eight hours to set up that shot. You know, wow. like I know yeah. we were on set when we had that one intricate shot for parallels. We were setting that up for an hour. I, you know, that, I mean, you know, that was, uh, it was a couple of shots like that that we did where they well, that you guys did. And I can't imagine though spending eight hours for one shot that takes 14 seconds. It's right. Crazy. It, it's this crazy.
1: Well, you know, when you have the time and the budget.
0: Right, right. I always say their movies have a $100,000 cappuccino budget worked in there somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> but this is where we have another cut scene in the, uh, in the special edition. And I think it doesn't need to be in there. I think James Cameron said the reason why he cut some of this material was because it it treats the audience like they're not smart enough to figure things out. And I kind of agree with that. When they show the the shot of the T1000 going outside because the dog's barking, he kills the dog off screen, off uh, screen, right. thankfully. And then he holds it up and holds up the uh, uh, the the name tag, you know, and, or the the collar, right. and it says Max instead. And he figures out he's been duped. I mean, it's it's a neat scene. You know, I kind of I appreciate seeing it, but it just didn't need to be there. No,
1: no, and I, yeah, it's I agree completely. 100 percent
0: yeah and then we get the scene where i call this uh fucking fucking doug being gross yuck he's gonna get his when doug the, the guard just you know they tie sarah connor down they put her in restraints and he licks her face like every time i see that my skin just crawls and i'm just like oh this way five minutes you got about five minutes this motherfucker gonna get his and again how sarah ends up uh escaping is with a simple uh Paperclip. Yep. You know, I kinda I kinda fist pump in the air a little bit when Doug gets his when she beats the shit out of him with the with that like broken broom handle or whatever the hell it was. You know, uh,
1: a little little tidbit of information. She actually picked the lock for that door? Really picked it for reals, huh? She she picked it for real with the paperclip. She uh she practiced and practiced and practiced, and uh, she wanted to do it for real. So they let her do it for real, and she did it for real. And in, then in um uh, in the UK edition of the movie, uh, some of those shots are cut because they thought it was too real of a lock picking scene, and didn't want to teach people how to pick a lock. <laughs>
0: Like I, I could see them wanting to cut some of that. I mean, <laughs> I don't think so anybody would ever be able to pick up on it. But yes, uh, apparently
1: that's a pretty good tutorial uh, to lock picking. Um, you know, according to,
0: you know, according to Linda Hamilton, right?
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: I did have a, during the escape here. The two T one thousand shows up, and I made a note that the two with the sequence with the the the, the guard, the redheaded guard with the mustache, when he's he walks across the floor, and then the floor is is now like the T1000. He has you know melted himself down in the floor, and he comes up, and they're sta- He's standing behind him. Those are two real twin actors that they used. Right. And they they use that trick uh, coming up in the end. I won't give away give away who just yet, <laughs> but I thought that was just interesting. That you know, for some of the the effects and whatnot, they you know they would just do some shit practical, and just use real life twin twin human beings like why not yeah i mean it's easier it yeah saves on budget you know and this is the one part where i i have to give a, a slight bit of a thumbs down a slight bit and i'm being extremely nitpicky but when john connor makes the terminator uh swear i will not kill anyone it's just a bit heavy-handed it's a bit much it's a bit where i'm just like okay I don't really care right now if John Connor dies. John Connor could die right now. I don't care.
1: <laughs> well, uh, the reason for that is that they didn't want the Terminator. Uh, like they didn't want the T-800 to kill people in this because he was the hero. And right. Arnold, Arnold thought that was stupid, uh, because he was a Terminator. He didn't think audiences would appreciate a Terminator not killing anybody. So they wrote that scene in because Arnold brought it up that, uh, you know, that, uh, Audiences would probably be upset if the Terminator didn't kill people, so they wrote in a scene where John tells him he can't kill people and makes him swear not
0: to. Oh geez. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that one. I don't know if I agree with that quite a bit. <laughs> but you know, I mean it it's not the worst scene in the world, but it's just it's one of those ones that takes me out of the movie just a little bit, you know, just Oh, for Nothing. sure. I
1: felt I felt the same way when I was when I was watching it last night. I was uh, I thought the same thing, but it felt a little heavy handed and did. Uh, and, you know, John never gets a gun in the movie. Like uh, He never fires a weapon. And that's because uh, they didn't want to put guns in ki- in, in, a, in a child's hands. And that was Linda Hamilton. Uh, and and I, I believe I, and I'm not 100 percent if they were together at this point. But, you know, they were her and James Cameron, you know, we not we're an item there for for
0: a while. Yeah, they married after this, I think, and we're we're married for a couple of years. But uh, this is the part where Sarah finally comes face-to-face with the Terminator again. When she rounds that corner and he comes out of the uh, elevator and everything just grinds to a halt in slow motion. I, you know, no wonder she runs back in the opposite direction after seeing him. I'm like, well, you got a Terminator on one side. You got some security guards on the other. Which way are you going to run? Right. Yeah, you know, this <laughs> makes just makes sense to me. I love when Arnold shows up, lays waste to all the guards and has to utter the iconic line. There's so many repeated lines in this movie. But he repeats Kyle Reese's line from the first movie "The come with me if you want to live, you know, and which is repeated, I think, like throughout. the, I think it's the In it, every it's in every movie. I think it's yes, yeah, at least in the first four, or at least a, an iteration of it. But uh, right. this is where we get the the scene you already mentioned, where the the T one thousand walks through the bars. I just remember seeing shots like that when you know it first came out. This movie was so innovative with the special effects. I well, I would mean, say I hadn't seen this. Nobody had seen anything like this, you know, at least not to this extent, you know. I don't know
1: if you're familiar with uh, uh, Corridor Digital. It's a YouTube channel. If you look up Corridor Crew on Yeah, on yeah, YouTube, yeah,
0: they, they they like turned a couple of like uh, like Star Wars and and uh, Marvel movies into like R-rated stuff. Uh, I see yeah. some of their special effects tutorials on that. Yeah,
1: yeah. If uh, they have an episode where they they break down this scene where he uh, moves through those bars and they try to recreate it uh, with with modern technology. And, uh, you know, and they do they do a fairly good job, but they they find themselves struggling to, to do that same shot. Uh, and it's uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting take to see, you know, these guys try to do it with modern technology and still not be able to pull it off like as good as they did in
0: 1991. And that says something that that, that That's
1: definitely says. It these, yeah. And if you're not familiar with with Corridor, they're they're, they're very good special effects artists. They're,
0: you know, they're not, you know, it's it's yeah, not just I, anybody trying it oh yeah they're, they're they're a good crew i've watched probably about 15 or 20 of their videos I'm, I'm i'm fans of theirs i like them that's always like i always feel like i walk away from one of their videos having learned something yeah that's
1: that's i, like that's, I, I mean I, I i give you know my 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 new found love for for vfx and my my wanting to dive more and more into it is basically influenced from watching their stuff and you know I don't yeah. know, seeing that it's within my grasp, I feel like I can do some of these things.
0: Yeah, my my favorite is when they turn the Avengers into the, the Blood and Guts R-rated version with that right. sequence. I was like, wow, I'm like, that, I, that, I, would have, I would have been on board for one of these. <laughs> <laughs> if only Marvel would go this route, you know, but anyway, anyway, sorry, <laughs> off subject, off subject. Uh, but when the, yeah, when the T-1000 walks through the bars, I mean, even adding the subtlety of like the gun kind of gets caught for a second, Once again, leaning, uh, you know, some some facts their way, you know, like when the Terminators, uh, when the T-800, Arnold's character says, you know, it can't, you know, like, uh, well, like John Connor says, like, why didn't it disguise itself as a bomb to come to get me? And he's like, you know, it's got moving parts. It can only do solid items, you know, chemicals, moving parts, it doesn't work that way. So when he tries to walk through that, you know, his gun gets caught. It's just, again, leaving credence to uh, what uh, Arnold had already said earlier. Right, but <laughs> I love uh, everybody's reaction, especially Doctor Silverman, when that like cap just falls out of his mouth when he sees them walk through the bars. It's, I think that's you're, he's a uh, you know he's like us, the audience. He's just like, what the fuck did I just see?
1: Right, and I, I like that, that that it all happens in the in the asylum because, like, you know, you could have written the scene like they break in and you know like. You know, they break her out or whatever. And, you know, with and then the fight takes place outside or something. But like to have it all in there, it it helps prove her right. You know, it's like in that moment, he's like, holy shit, she's been telling
0: the truth this whole time. Like, (laughs) right, right. And the thing is, he was almost there for all the, the I mean, he passed Arnold on the way out on while he was on his way in in the original Terminator. So he right. never quite saw the at that action. So, of course, he wouldn't believe it, but he's going to believe it now. But, again, we get another good uh, car chase sequence, but this one with uh, the T-1000 on foot. Uh, I, I, kudos to Robert Patrick. I know he had some great stuntmen that, you know, helped him along the way, but he did a lot of these stunts himself. You can actually see it's, you know, some of the more... Uh, high-risk stuff obviously was stunt doubles or dummies and or whatnot because there is a part where where the t-1000 is hanging off the back of the car when they make that slide through the gate it's very obvious for about a two second shot that it's a dummy right you know if you blink at that particular moment in time it seems flawless (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> if you just blink it it's like oh that was only eight frames i didn't need to see that that it's it, it just uh yeah this it, is a little it's, it's a little bad but uh you know better than risking your actor uh i like the when we get to the the switch reset after this after arnold's been shot up they're they're taking they're stopping at an old gar- garage and just kind of holding it up for the night and um, this is one of the cut scenes that was not in the theatrical cut that was, and it's a pretty long sequence. It's probably what, about seven, eight minutes long where they do the, the swish reset in the Terminator's head?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty long scene uh, as far as like what they cut.
0: Yeah,
1: it's a pretty long scene. And, and Arnold you know, has has said, I think in a, you know, a few different interviews, that his uh, that was like his favorite scene. So it being cut was a little bit of a bummer for him.
0: Yeah. Um, and I like how they shot it when they you, you're seeing the reflection in the mirror. I saw some of the behind the scenes of how they shot this. They actually had another set on the other side where this mirror was supposed to be and had Linda Hamilton's twin sister, her real life twin sister, mimicking the movements of, of Linda on right. the other it's, side. It's, it's so they can do intricate. it.
1: Yeah, so they can do it in that you know in that one shot without cutting. They can you know establish Arnold and her there, and then spin the camera around to reveal her like you know digging into his head, uh, and that's a it's a great shot. It was a great, it was a super creative way to, to do it. They spent a lot of time. There's a lot of money involved into that. You know, duplicating a set on either sides of the mirror is not a cheap thing to do, uh, <laughs> and then it got cut from the film. But I think it's for the better, to be honest. The, the yeah, it that, slows things down it, it, the pacing. Right. But what it, what, what it does, you know, the whole purpose of them, you know, removing the chip and then the whole the whole the whole conversation with her about to smash it and him, you know, con- trying to convince her not to and all that. Like it's all of that. I don't like any of that. And that can like it all got cut, I think, for for a good reason. And, and the the idea that, um, you know, basically that they're resetting the chip so that way he can learn more.
0: I don't. Yeah. So you you can go into learn mode as opposed to read mode. It's it's a lot of hoopla over nothing. I mean, yeah. I I I like it from the complexity of what they did to achieve the shot. You know, and I'm kind of glad it's there. You know, in the special edition, or as a cutscene. You know, to to enjoy, but it doesn't need to be in the actual cut of the movie.
1: Right. And I and but that's that's kind of the special editions theme overall. Is you know most of the stuff that is added in the special edition are all scenes of him learning more things. Uh, and, and some of them are small, you know, just little small things. But they, they you know, they they took out the scene with him resetting that. And they, then they took out a lot of the other little things from the theatrical version, too. But but left in some of the more funnier things, you know.
0: Uh, yeah. And it didn't, it, didn't it, it just didn't need all that. I mean, I appreciate well, the special edition for what it is, and I'm, I'm an appreciative that it's there. But I I think I I like the theatrical cut a lot more myself as a tighter film.
1: It's a it's a nice scene. And in James Cameron's masterclass, he does break down that scene uh, and how they shot it. And like, you know, the creative ways to to get around, uh, you know, certain certain obstacles that they, you know, it's it's it's. I, I, I view those scenes as you know kind of like what filmmaking is and you know filmmakings you know it's just a, a list of obstacles and challenges for you to you know try and figure out what the most creative way to overcome and and uh, you know I I enjoy yeah I enjoy the 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 process in which that was made but it's yeah I agree with you not completely yeah. necessary for the movie yeah
0: it's just it's superfluous it just doesn't yeah just doesn't need to be there but uh <laughs> I kind of see the wheels turning here afterwards when the T-800 is giving Sarah the lowdown on how Skynet is built and how Cyberdyne, you know, has it come to be and the role that Dyson plays in it. And you can kind of see her wheels already turning. You can see when once she's already, she is pretty much, she's not playing crazy. She's she has gone crazy. The idea of knowing that there there's a secret world, you know, a uh, future filled with Terminators and Skynet and whatnot and having nobody believe you is obviously something that would turn most people uh, completely batshit insane. Right. And she she's going to take him out. And, you know, I love when they go to visit. I forget the character's name, but he's, uh, you know, one of her soldier buddies. And I love, you know, they're going there to pick up some weapons, get a vehicle to get out of there. <clears throat> And I love the line, it, it's just, you know, hey, drop by any time and just totally fuck up my life, all right? <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you can just tell they have a good rapport there. You know, they had sh- shared some good times. But when they get into that underground bunker with all the weapons, and again, it's another line. I don't I don't mind some of the humor of this. The humor of the, the Terminator learning how to smile and kind of right. do some things like that. Again, unnecessary, but I love like when Arnold gets the, the big GE minigun. and and John Connor's just like, well, it's definitely you, you know, and it's just like, yeah, the Terminator would have a minigun. Right. But I, but I do (laughs) notice here, like since the, you know, uh, you know, they, they filmed it with the idea that I know that they were going to keep that, that scene with them flipping the switch. And even though they, they didn't, but after this, I started noticing that the Terminator's dialogue becomes more human. Like yeah. he tells them, stop saying things like affirmative and bullshit like that. Like when, um, like for instance, you know when when they're changing the starter out underneath the car, and John and the Terminator are having the dialogue. You know, the Terminator starts saying things like "uh-huh" and "yeah." When before everything was purely business, it was negative, right. affirmative, and I, I like that. It's subtle for a movie that's about explosions and you know, yeah, Terminators. No.
1: I, yeah, I, I I I totally agree. I like I like that you know they humanize him, but in a subtle way. It's it's nuanced. It's not you know, just he's not just you know, got all the swagger and walking around after all that,
0: which <laughs> right, is what it right. kind
1: of feels like in more of the modern stuff sometimes.
0: Oh yeah, uh, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. I'm looking at you when you put Elton <laughs> John sunglasses on him and he starts doing the whole talk to the hand. Right. It's just yeah. I remember being really excited. I'll give on a tangent about Rise of the Machines here for about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. I remember being super excited when that came out. And I saw it the first time, and I I, I was still excited for it, but I didn't know what I had seen. So I went back to see it the next weekend and was just like, oh, I know what I saw. A big piece of crap. And that's just where I'll leave Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Maybe one day we'll we'll review that one and talk about everything that they did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, Which is I, a lot. You know, I think I, like, I, when I first saw that movie, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't, I feel like, until, uh, I don't know, I started, it wasn't until later. I mean, that movie, you know, I was, you know, that one came out in 2003, mm-hmm. so... You know i was like 15 or so 14 or 15 and uh like i enjoyed it uh for what it was but i there was a, I, I, I what i like the most about it is i like the casting i think john connor's great in it um, yeah
0: nick Stahl is great
1: eh? yeah nick Stahl's really good in it i think that the story is good i like the story i just think that they shouldn't have made it pg-13 and they relied heavily on cg that doesn't really hold up as well as t2 does
0: yeah, if they were going to do CG in that one as prominently as they did, it should at least been half as good as T2. And it just wasn't for a movie that was made 12 years later. But then again, ILM did not do the effects for that movie. So that might be part of that reason. Right. But anyway, get, okay. That's, that's my rant on Terminator (laughs) 3. (laughs) Cause I could rant about a couple of those sequels here, but uh, I'll, 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 I'll try to contain myself now. Uh, This is the next big scene that I want to talk about, is that full-blown, the Sarah Connor, like, not flashback, but as it is a flash-forward with her coming up to the playground that played so prominently in those opening credits in her previous flashback. I keep calling it flashback, but it's just a a dream sequence, we'll just call it. That's better. But the way that that is choreographed, is so haunting when the nuclear bomb drops and everybody is this flash-burned, and the shockwave hits. You had never really seen anything on that kind of grand of a scale, of that kind of like planetary destruction in a movie before. Right. And it's ha- haunting when like her skin blows away, you know, and she's holding on to that fence, screaming. And then her, it's just her skeleton left, and she's still screaming. I think it's so well done.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's great. And the, the effect itself is. Is a you know, it's a practical effect, and I think it was super clever in how they pulled it off. I mean, it it ties together really
0: nicely. Those those shots marry very well, right? Right, yeah, that's just a great scene. So brief, but so good. And the next note I got here, and and you can feel free to disagree with me on this one if if, if you want. I'm not a parent, so maybe I don't know, but it doesn't seem to me like by this point it's pretty. uh, obvious that the T-800 makes for a better parent than Sarah Connor does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She, she obviously does. at this point just like doesn't give a shit about her kid. She's supposed to be like, you know, protecting the savior. She just does not well, give a shit about him. Well, she, I think, well, I mean, you, you, you know, it's, it's, In, it's at least of, not as a mother, not as a mother would, I guess.
1: It's a, it's a, it's a matter of perspective. You could argue that she cares so much about him that she's, you know, she's trying to prevent the end of the world so that he doesn't have to lead uh you know this army uh so you know you could look you could look at it like that <laughs> that's true that's true you know you might have uh,
0: convinced you might have convinced me but way. Uh, but no <laughs>
1: yeah she's uh you know she's dealing with a lot of trauma you know it's not uh you know it's, it's not it's not black and white
0: no no it falls heavily into a gray area but what doesn't fall into the gray area is that the fact that she's going to go and totally assassinate Dyson. And Dyson, you know, he really is just a family man working. He's just a scientist working from home on some new technology. You know, we we know, the audience knows and she knows, you know, what is going to, you know, that it's going to get sidelined into Skynet and it's going to, you know, it's going to make the world go tits up, as they say. And but he doesn't know that, you know, she could have merely went to him and tried to convince him that what he was doing is wrong and abandon it. But that doesn't make for a good film. It doesn't make for an exciting film. It doesn't make for a good conflict. She has to go and kill him.
1: Right. And I mean, it's, you know, it's that age old question of, you know, I mean, not that he's Hitler, but if you could go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, you know, it's like, would you (laughs) Um, not that he's Hitler uh, by any means, but he is responsible for what becomes, you know, you know, a world shattering event. And, you know, the. I mean, I, and I, I love that she goes to kill him, but, you know, everything gets, you know, diverted and then it becomes a conversation and and, you know, he's on board. He's immediately like, yeah, let's go destroy everything because, uh, you know, like he doesn't want to be responsible for all this.
0: Right, right. All he has to do is see Arnold do his little show me bit when he takes the knife and peels his arm off, like you think he could have just torn off a finger? He didn't have to tear off the whole arm. I felt like that was, again, it's great as an impact on camera. But it seems like it's a little extreme but effective.
1: Well, it it works because it mirrors the fact of the arm that they've got. You know what I mean? Like, that's why. You know, it's like they've got the arm and, you know, the mechanical arm in the glass case. uh, And so he, you know, not that they know that, but him showing it off mirrors the fact that, you know, it's like this is going to speak clearly to this guy. Like, he's already seen
0: this tech before. Uh, you, you know what, Tony? Thank you. Because I I feel like you just blew my mind. I've seen this movie a hundred times. I never put I've never put those two together. I never thought of it in that kind of uh that kind of context before. But now that, fa- that fills a hole in my head that made me go, why do you have to tear up the whole arm? And like it seemed extreme. But thank you. Yeah. Like, it seems now it seems like it's fucking so obvious how after about <laughs> 101 viewings, it took me to understand that. Yeah.
1: That, that scene only, the only bit about that scene that drives me nuts is when he actually like cuts around his arm. It's just like, here's some like kind of red paint, uh, that you're like spreading around your arm. But then the, the actual pull off of the, of the flesh is done so well because it's just, It's such a clever shot and it's something that James Cameron does a lot in both of the Terminator, like in the first movie and in this one um, where he uses practical effects in such a creative way because that shot is literally, you know how many guys are just off the frame holding up, like holding up that arm.
0: Oh, there was like, like several of them weren't there? Yeah.
1: Cause like, you know, it's just, and it's, it's just shooting with a little bit longer of a lens to make the, like the, 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 the fake arm look as though it's attached To his arm and just a matter of perspective and just putting the camera in the right spot locking everything down so that way you can you know make sure it's where it needs to be i bet that arnold is actually holding on to like a chair or something underneath just to keep his arm steady and exactly in the right space while the other while the other team is holding up the prop arm so he can rip the thing off like there's so much happening off camera for that one shot that is just super creative filmmaking
0: it's kind of like when you see like a a scene in like it's a totally different kind of film, but I just saw the making of the original Child's Play for a couple of the animatronic scenes where they're having Chucky walk. You know, there's always six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, different puppeteers off camera operating rigs and pulleys. Right. You know, to make that work, it's it's amazing to me to to watch the behind the scenes stuff almost as much as the movie itself. Just see, I want to know how they did that.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's like in, in Ninja Turtles, there's something like six different like operators for each face of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, geez. oh, you're talking the original 90s. Yeah, Ninja Turtles. Like the 1990 oh, yeah. Ninja Turtles. Film. Like, I think it's like there's like six different operators for each face because there's like just one person operating the eyebrows, one person operating like the cheekbones, one person operating the eyeballs. Like then they all have to work <laughs> in tandem
0: to make the faces look look right. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Oh, uh, but yeah. After uh, yeah, there's quite a gap here uh after this scene, where the, from the last time that we've seen the T1000. It kind of felt like it was, this was the one point in the movie where you got a chance to catch your breath and, and breath and feel like you weren't in, a, in an immediate danger with these characters. Like they had a chance to breathe and kind of regroup. But then the T1000 shows up on his stolen bicycle because I remember the line he had. He's like, "Say, that's a nice bike," and then you never see that bike again until now uh but you know gosh when they when they go to cyberdyne to blow the place up (laughs) i kind of love again the subtlety and the humor when uh, dyson kind of is like hey yeah carl yeah like um you know we're gonna take my friends in here and check everything out and he doesn't get out two words like no sir you know we can't do that and boom they pull out guns on him and he's like i must insist i laugh at that because it's just it's just. But it's just like I don't, I don't know what it is. It's Arnold's deadpan delivery that just Arnold was the king of the one-liners. You know, he could take a, a dad joke and make it appear funnier than it was.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it, you know, it it works because of the tone of the film and and you know and his character being so like what we were talking about earlier with, you know, like you know like saying like affirmative and things like that. Like being just so robotic. So when he does have a little bit of a humanized. You know element to them, it's just that much Funnier because you're not expecting it Like it subverts your expectations Um yeah Uh, I work with Um uh, a girl on A lot of projects here lately Who's from China and She can be kind of conservative in the way That she talks and sometimes When she cracks a joke I feel like it's funnier Than it should be only because you don't expect Her to make jokes
0: (laughs) Right right (laughs) It's like did you just say that Yes. So now I, I made a note here, and this is just a stupid little notation The when the T-1000 is walking through Dyson's house to try to figure out what happened to them, you know, he's quickly on their chair trail. There is a sign on the monitor that says bit happens. And I just found that funny. It's something I never, (laughs) yeah, I can't think of, I can't, you know, uh, pick up something obvious of Arnold tearing his arm off the mirror, the fact that that's the arm that was left in the original Terminator, but I pick up on a sign taped on Dyson's monitor that says bit happened. So that tells you how kind of squirrel-like my brain is. (laughs) That works. Yeah, yeah, it works. You know, that's the one thing that disproves is either I'm not paying attention or that it's just that good of a movie that I notice something new every time. But like, yeah. and for, basically, from this point on, it is just one long action sequence. It doesn't let up for the next what, forty-five, fifty minutes. Probably, yeah, it's pretty long. <laughs> I mean, we got the he's got the missile launcher that he uses. Uh, Arnold's got the 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 minigun sequence that he when he uses that. The action scenes set the bar so high that I felt like every movie that came out for the next half a decade after this, were just trying to imitate it and and failed miserably. Like, oh, not saying that there wasn't an action movie that came after this that that didn't match match up with the stunts and the effects and whatnot. But they had an uphill battle for them. I mean, the the bar was just set so high. Now, I, I got to mention another little uh, notation here that I had of uh, a cameo. Not really a cameo, but just a bit player. Um, when the SWAT team shows up and Dyson is left behind with uh, the triggering system the actor you wouldn't notice it because he's wearing a mask but the actor playing the SWAT team leader is Den- Dean Norris who plays uh who is the the head of the DEA in Breaking Bad Oh okay Yeah he was uh Walt Walt's uh, brother-in-law he play, he played uh Mike Martrot not Mike Martrot um uh oh hell Hank Hank oh. yeah I, I, was, I was thinking yeah it was Hank not Mike <laughs> two totally different guys but yeah yeah. Um, and I read that actually him and Arnold had gotten along so well during, the, he played the one-eyed alien in Total Recall underneath all that heavy prosthetic makeup. And they had par- apparently gotten along so well that he got him, you know, he recommended him for this part and got him a little bit part as a SWAT team leader. So I like seeing like the, the evolution of actors that played, you know what I mean? Bit yeah. parts, uh, playing along. Cause I'm like, I looked at something in those eyes and I'm went Again, pause the movie. That's why it takes me four hours to watch a movie because <laughs> I'll find something, then I'll pause it and have to look. But uh, all these scenes, the the hallway scene where, you know, Arnold's going into the hail of gunfire, and again, using some of those forced perspective shots again that I think, like you were mentioning, like with the arm uh, de-skinning sequence, you know, using some of those same kind of shots when Arnold is just coming out, kneecapping everybody, and like he says, don't worry, they'll they'll live. Right but between that sequence, when the T1000 leaps from the second floor of Cyberdyne from his motorcycle to the helicopter, because you had mentioned that earlier on, you know, the mirroring shots, you know, m- mirroring the uh, uh, the images on the liquid metal as he pours in, is just flawless. And not only that, but it also harkens back to uh, the first Terminator when Arnold takes over the semi truck and he tells him to get out, and the guy just jumps out. Right, and and this guy does the same thing out of a moving helicopter. I think he realizes what he's up against. Is like, I'll take my chance of breaking my legs,
1: yeah, for as sure. opposed to
0: having whatever 100%. the fuck this thing was. I'm out of there, <laughs> right? I'm getting the <laughs> fuck out. And yeah. that yes. same um, uh, helicopter pilot is the one who was their stunt pilot for pretty much the rest of the movie.
1: Well, that's pretty great. Yeah, uh, yeah. the 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 cool thing about that shot. Of the uh, the helicopter going underneath the, the overpass, like right over the under the bridge, there, um, is that the camera operator wouldn't do it. Uh, he said, and and the whole crew, the whole crew said it was too dangerous of a stunt, and that they were uncomfortable filming it. So James Cameron did it. He's the he's the camera operator for that shot. Oh,
0: he did that himself.
1: Yeah, James okay. Cameron. I mean, it was him and one driver, one driver in the truck, and he was on the flatbed with the camera mounted. And uh, he did. He 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 did the shot. He followed the the helicopter underneath the underneath the overpass.
0: I wonder if they got that in one take. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be be horrible to be like, you know, if the lighting wasn't right. We need to do that one more time.
1: I mean, you like, can't even really tell. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, they were you know they're shooting this stuff on film. Like they couldn't tell until the next day when they got their you know their dailies back to see if they got the shot. Like you know what I mean? Like that's oh yeah. Filmmaking I, then, it's a lot different than digital.
0: <laughs> well, I remember reading, it said they shot over 1.1 million feet of film. Right. And that that's a lot of processing they have to do there. Like, Digital has just changed the game in, in ways that I, I know, I, in, in some ways that I understand, in some ways that I'll never fully understand. But digital has just changed the game so much.
1: Yeah. With digital, you know, it's like you can do a thousand takes like you can just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going with film. It was like, you know, eventually you're going to run out.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, you only got so much in your budget for film. (laughs) Right. Right. But those helicopter stunts, though. Now, did I notice I I went back and rewatched this part a couple of times. It's the only time in the movie where we see the T-1000 with four arms when he's flying the helicopter in that one sequence where he's fly he's operating the helicopter with his two main arms. And then he's got two additional lower arms that's uh, reloading the gun. Now, am I right that that's the only time we see him with an ex- extra limbs? Um,
1: you know, yeah, I think so. I mean, I like you mentioning, it makes me go, Oh, I guess you're right. Like that definitely happens in that one shot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's another thing I knew. I know what happens. But I just couldn't uh, remember if it was the only time it happens. So I think so, but no. Anyway, but oh, again, we get another semi truck, another damn damn big semi truck. It's always semi trucks in this movie. I think it, you're right though. They they have to pick vehicles that are much like the Terminators themselves, big hunks of metal that are just unstoppable. But always a damn semi chase in these movies, and I love when they're trying to get away in their little stolen pickup truck. And it's going like 55 and he's like you need to punch it And he's like this is the vehicle's maximum speed I think it ought to go faster than this <laughs> It's like yeah but uh, look at the state of the truck You're lucky it's not like chugging to 20 You know <laughs> Right uh, it's, it's great
1: But dude I love so much When he leaps off the back of that truck Onto the semi truck and just starts shooting through the windshield Like and, that yeah, shot is awesome aw.
0: Yeah. And it's done in one long take. He climbs from the back of the truck over the hood and on and just starts emptying that gun through the windshield and rides it like a surfboard when he flips it over on its side. Right. Arnold's just riding that thing like a surfboard. Well, probably more realistically, the stuntman is riding that thing like like a surfboard. I love that sequence and that's when it, the that's the truck that like it's the one thing that actually harms the the T1000 to the point where it messes them up a little bit the liquid night the liquid nitrogen was a game changer in this you know because when he gets out again there's a hitch in the T1000s giddy up you know he starts freezing he starts sticking to the ground and then we get probably the one liner of the 90s the i mean if I'll be back was arnold's one liner of the 80s Hostel La Vista, baby, has got to be the best one-liner of the '90s, right. hands down. I, I mean, I I can't think of one more iconic. But um, I I love how they the use of I think they used actual mercury here, if I remember reading correctly, to do, kind of show the T1000's resurrection because they're in the right. kind of, you know. For, for they're in the steel mill now, and the molten steel is starting to to, to thaw out the T one thousand. But they used real mercury, I think. You know, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I'm sure, sure I read like that it. somewhere. But again, th- this is a point where you can say definitely the best CGI that the uh, '90s money could buy. And, oh and, def- this, <laughs> and and this is just basically from here on out, the last twenty minutes is just one big long fist fight and shotgun fight between the the two Terminators. I love the fight between them, uh, how the when the T one thousand really puts a hurting on the T eight hundred, Arnie Arnie loses an arm, he skewers him to the ground, you think he's down, you know, for the count. <clears throat> and in this whole scene, the whole sequence for the last twenty minutes, you can feel the heat in this place. Oh yeah. You know? And like when you watch the, like
1: when they go through the one room, you know, she's like she is like, you know, it's too hot, we gotta back up Like, like the or Linda Hamilton, you know, yeah. she's she's like, it's 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 too hot, it's too hot, and they have to back out.
0: Yeah, but there's everybody's so sweaty, and it's, uh, and they were using the material that were in uh, glow sticks to make all that goop glow like that, you know. Oh, okay. it, uh, that I can't remember what the the chemical compound was, but I remember reading. Or watching on a, behind the scenes. Because I watched everything and read everything on this movie back in the day. And so I'm, I'm maintaining what little nuggets of information I had. Because like I said, there, there was like, what, eight hours of uh, special features on that Blu-ray. And I did not have enough time to watch all eight hours. I did watch about three or four of them. But that was, uh, you know, but the, when the T-1000 starts getting glitchy, this is where I wish, the, the is the one kind of bits and pieces of the movie that I wish they would have left in the theatrical cut if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah i i I like that aspect of it too uh you know where he like grabs the where his hand turns like yellow and black from the the caution
0: sign and stuff right right and his feet start sticking to the ground and as he's walking his feet are starting to kind of like mush into the floor i i I just like that i think that was just a, a neat sequence
1: Right. I, I think it is, too. And I can't remember for sure now because they both blend into my head. But I think in the theatrical cut, you still see his feet take the form of the greats, uh in that final yeah, shot, before, one shot before um, Sarah shoots him.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. When when is the two Sarahs are there? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You still see that. And you see one point when Robert Patrick walks through the frame and his image kind of flickers. I know they still kept that, but they didn't yeah. keep some of the more more detailed stuff
1: yeah
0: but you know there's so much great stuff in the action here where uh you know sarah tries fighting them off and and you would think she would think it would be kind of uh futile to keep using a shotgun or a pistol against this thing that it's just not going to work (laughs) <laughs> you, need something, you need something bigger. I mean, I realize, you know, she's got a shotgun and that's all she's got left. But, you know, you shot this thing 157,000 times already. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. But when Arnold comes back over that uh, that gear and he shoots him with uh, that, uh, I can't remember which kind of, they used to call it a blopper. I think it was the, the technical or the non-technical nickname for it and blows him up. I love it where he's all blown half sideways and he's mangled right before he falls over the edge. Right, the bolt metal, and we go through that big long transformation sequence. It's just great stuff.
1: It it's great. It gives me some like uh like some vibes, some like real nice horror vibes, like The Thing or something like that. Yeah, it's just like all you know this you know bodies all just you know just one big conglomerate of all
0: these different people. It's great. Yeah, it does have kind of a little bit of a thing-like vibe and the sounds that it makes when it's kind of screaming or screeching in pain. It just it sounds like metal on metal, which right. I think is very unique for it to not – the T-1000's voice is just like it is. It's just, you know, liquid steel. It's just great stuff. But the part I really got to talk about, we're right at the end of the movie. Arnold is messed up. He's missing an arm. Half his head is gone. His legs all busted up. He is worse for wear. And he goes out in the same way that the T-1000 does. He has Sarah lo- lower him down into the liquid metal because they realize, hey, you know, they throw the chip in. They throw the arm in. And he makes the, uh, the you know, he makes the notation that, you know, there's still one chip left that's in his head. And, of course, John, being a kid, cries because this guy, you know, the Terminator's become like a father figure to him. And right. I got to admit when I saw this, when I was like 14, I cried at this ending. I did. I (laughs) cried as he's lowering them down. And the Terminator just gives the thumbs up as he's like catching on fire. As he's lowering down into the metal right before his division just (laughs) goes out. I mean, I didn't like full on ball, like the ending of ET or anything, (laughs) you (laughs) know, but I do get a little, I did get a little misty eyed and I still somewhat do. And I think this was the right note to end it on. Because the alternate, as they call it, the time coda ending, with uh, Sarah Connor being a grandmother and John Connor kind of being a congressman and having that nice little neat tied up in a bow ending where, you know, uh, Judgment Day never happened. I, I, I like it as an oddity, and I'm appreciated to get to see the alternate ending. and But I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's just... Uh, Just, I don't know. Just doesn't make sense to me. For a movie that's as dark as it is, it doesn't need to have that happy-go-lucky ending. It just doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. But (laughs) but some uh, things that need to be noted here a few bits of trivia is that they had to change Eddie Furlong's voice uh, an awkward pitch (laughs) here and there because he was growing. And I put... I nicknamed it Eddie Furlong's Growing Pains because he had grown up so much during, like, what, the six months they spent making the movie? <laughs> yeah, there's... Uh, yeah, He's noticeably younger in, like, the
1: desert scenes than he is in, the, uh, in some of the other stuff.
0: They're <laughs> so like, damn, we got this kid and he hit a growth spurt. What the hell? Uh, but I also had the note of Billy Idol almost playing the T-1000. But another note I had... Was that um, they had offered the part of Dyson to Denzel Washington, a young J- Denzel? But he said, "All I get to do is uh, shake, act scared, and cry." He's like, "I'm going to pass." <laughs> but like, how much different would that have made things to have Denzel Washington in a Terminator movie? That would have been interesting.
1: Yeah, and you know, and I think he would have done a great job. It is a small role, so I think you know. I think it's um, you know, I think I think it would have been it would have been great, and probably a great depending on what else he was doing at the time, could have been a really great uh, career booster earlier on in his career. Right. Right. It's a huge movie.
0: Right. Right. Like ended up being a lot bigger
1: than anybody thought it was going to be, I think.
0: Oh yeah. I I think it debuted with a 50, $55 million weekend. And it was the first R rated movie to hit a $300 million global box office. And it held that record for well over, I think 10, 12 years. And another movie thing, uh, money thing here, uh, as salary went, when you broke down uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's pay by words of dialogue, he earned just over $21,000 per every single word of dialogue that he had. He was also paid with a plane. Yeah. Wasn't it a Gulfstream? Yeah. Jet plane? Yeah. I remember reading somewhere they said it was slightly used. I just want to know what they meant by slightly used. I
1: think I think it was uh, valued at forty million dollars. I think if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> just to get paid nice. forty uh, fifteen million dollars in cash and a forty million dollar plane. I mean, like, you know, come on. Where where's our payday like that? <laughs> yeah.
1: This uh, this movie, too, um, was not James Cameron's last uh, Terminator movie that he directed. He also directed oh. T2 3D Battle Across Time, which was a short film for uh, Universal
0: Studios Florida. Uh, yes. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not. <laughs> not not I, I, I've watched it. I've watched the, the non-3D version of it. I've seen it, yes.
1: Oh, I, 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 I went to Universal probably like ten years ago and got to experience the
0: stunt show. Uh, oh, I would love to. Jealous, jealous, sir.
1: Um, you, you don't have to be that jealous.
0: <laughs> oh, not that impressive.
1: It was fun, but, uh, but yeah, it is. Um, you know, uh, it's a goofy kind of, you know, I mean, it's it it takes itself very seriously, but you know. You, they have you know stunt actors that come out of the screen and then drive the motorcycles like around the the lobby and things like around you know as you're as you're there. But it was it was fun. Oh, that sounds fun. But uh, but they brought you know all the whole all the whole cast is back in it and
0: um, you know this is like five years later. The whole they brought everybody back. because yeah, didn't they do film that in like 96, 97?
1: Yeah, I think it's yeah it's IMDb says ninety six. So yeah, they they brought everybody back for that and. Um, you know, it's uh, I don't know if it's still at Universal or not. It was when I went, but that has been probably
0: 10 years ago. Uh, oh, so I don't, I don't know. If still, it's still, there still, jeal- still jealous, still jealous because mm-hmm. I've never been to Universal. I'd love to go one day.
1: I, I mean, definitely do it. It was a lot of fun.
0: One day, one day we'll make it out there. Yeah. Well, sir, uh, we've gone on for almost two hours about this crazy movie. Want to go ahead and get into our final thoughts and and rating? You know as well as I do. Guess go first, and so give us uh, your rating on a scale from one to ten, Tony.
1: Um, I mean, this movie for me is a ten out of ten, and I I, I rarely you know rate things perfectly, um, but I think for uh you know for its time for 1991 i'd have given it a 10 out of 10 you know as it's coming out and looking back i think it still holds up very strong i mean if i have to be nitpicky i think the only thing for it being a big action movie is that the action the action sequences like the spectacle of them is like phenomenal and amazing all the set pieces are great but the actual like fighting in the movie is a lot of let me grab you by the shoulders and throw you through a wall and i think that might be a little overdone throughout the movie but that's kind of just how the terminators fight each other um yeah they just like
0: to throw people through shit
1: yeah but um you know that's nitpicky i still i mean i i give this movie yeah it's a perfect movie for me I, i i love this film
0: um, I, I agree 110. percent I give it a 10 out of 10. Even on its worst day, if I'm being super critical, I might give it a nine and a half. But you know, and that would be nitpicky of me. You know, a couple little things. I, I agree that some of the action seems redundant. You know, when it's the Terminator on Terminator kind of action, it's a lot of shove and pull. Uh, you know, and a few little minor things like uh, the Terminator learning is kind of goofy a little bit. Uh, Eddie Furlong grates on my nerves a little bit, but right. I, there's a lot, I have a lot of nostalgia love for this movie, but a lot of straight up technical love just from, you know, being involved even on the, the level of filmmaking that, you know, I've been involved in. I, I love the movie for being the spectacle that it is. And so, yeah, it's a 10 out of 10 for me as well. This is, uh, you know, one of the rare occurrences where, you know, a, a sequel far surpasses the original, at least as far as I'm concerned.
1: Uh, you know couldn't agree more. I when I, when I was watching or when you asked me to you know be on the show and you were you know we were debating which sequel we wanted to cover, I was having a hard time even thinking of sequels that I enjoy because I'm not one for sequels like I generally speaking don't really care for sequels all that much. Um, and this is definitely one of those rare occasions where the sequel is better than the original
0: yeah yeah i i agree well you know and next time we can cover a sequel that neither one of us like like i mean we have covered uh um, halloween resurrection on this show in which that one's a <laughs> you yeah, know that's a big one Yeah, we like we like to cover all sequels good the bad and the ugly here but uh for this one this was a good uh, starting off point for you and i i think because yeah we uh, both obviously love uh, this movie so it was a good choice but that being said, um, I'll put put a pin in, in this one for the evening or the the early afternoon. Uh, I know you're super busy. You, you know you're working on Parallels. We're in between shoots, but you got other projects going on. Is there anything you want to plug before we bid everyone a fond farewell?
1: Well, I mean, at, over at Rat Entertainment, we are yeah, we're you know about to wrap on Parallels. here. about to, we're about to jump into the production. I guess of the of the last leg of it. You know, we got we still have about. You know, four or five days left of filming for that, and then uh, after that, I'm working currently with um, Alan Wills on uh, on directing a movie for him, but we haven't made a, any kind of official announcement there. Uh, but we are we are uh, in early pre-production on a feature for him. I've got uh, my directorial uh, my 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 first feature that I will be potentially directing next year, uh, along with uh, we've got. Um a short film we're doing in September and we've got three other shorts we're doing next year, working with some different people, some new directors. Uh we got a lot of fun stuff that we're hopefully you guys will be seeing here come uh come by middle end next year. You'll start seeing some really cool stuff from us.
0: Right on, right on. Well, staying busy is always good, you know, idle hands as they say. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, as busy as you are, I want to thank you for taking a, a couple hours out of your schedule to not only watch one of these movies but to review it and talk shop with me. I always appreciate you your 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 time spent with us.
1: Awesome, man. Yeah. I any time. Seriously, let's All do right. it again.
0: Alrighty, folks. Thank you once again for tuning in to sequel two deja vu. We have been covering Terminator Two Judgment Day. Berts, remember, it's nothing personal.